one of the top experts in the world on sales. King of collaboration. He's on the cutting edge and what he does works. Jim Padilla. Jim Padilla. CEO of Gain the Edge. He is the leader when it comes to sales and conversions. A sales and business coach to some of the biggest names in the country. Jim Padilla is known as the go-to guy for all things sales. Welcome everybody to another edition here of the Make More Sales podcast. And uh, I want to talk to you today here about reading the room, reading the signs, the signs that are always there. We just often miss them because we're too busy focused on what we're doing instead of what they're doing. Right? So, uh, Welcome to the podcast. Make sure that you're sharing, hitting the like button, rate, rate, review, subscribe, all of those good things here. And uh, I just want to share something with you here. I'm going to start off with a little story. Um, some of you know, some don't, but I was blessed enough to be able to play um, college baseball. And um, so I spent a lot of my time <laughs> on the ball field and studying and practicing and training. And I was always very, very quick. I was short and fast. I was, I was 150 pounds in high school. I, I, 180 by the time I got to college. But it, it was uh, my coach in, in high school did not ever let me in the weight room because he wanted me. I was one of the fastest kids in the county. And he wanted me to stay that way. He wanted me to be small, lean, and mean uh, and not, not put on a bunch of bulky muscle. So anyway, I played shortstop. And I covered a lot of ground. I had a phenomenal glove, um, but in, in pure transparency, it was mostly a gift of athleticism. I didn't have the brains to go with it as much until I got later uh, in college and beyond and playing some semi-pro ball. And actually, I wish I knew the things at 30 that when I was 18, I would have been all world. Um, but I could cover ground because I could move really fast, right? But then um, when I was playing in college, you know, I met a guy named Kelly. Uh, who was, uh, he, he also played shortstop and I played both, we, we both platoon, I played shortstop and second base. And I watched him, he was 6'2", 220, bigger, more muscular, I'll just, he was a big version of me, but he didn't have the same speed I did. But he covered the same amount of ground, which I thought was fascinating, and I would watch him. And I started noticing that he was already moving before a batter even made contact with the ball. I was great at reacting to the direction of the, of the ball. He was great at anticipating where the ball was going to go. And so I was talking to him one day about it. And basically, he just we broke it down. And we started watching batters from in the box. And you could tell by their stance, their stride, the way their hips opened up or didn't, where they were more likely to make contact with the ball. And based on where they were making contact with the ball, would be a great indicator as to what the direction the ball would go. Um, then you combine that with being involved in the pitch count. If you know what's going on, you know if the pitcher is dialed into the signs behind the plate of the catcher, then you also know is it going to be inside or outside, high, low, fastball, curveball. Combine that with all of these other, with, with the movements and the mechanics of the batter, and you have a really good idea where that ball is likely to go. It doesn't always work that way, but high probabilities. And I started putting that together with my 
great reactions of, and speed and agility. And all of a sudden, I was getting to balls before. I, the one thing that I noticed, uh, ironically, I used to have a lot of diving plays. I used to love to dive and get dirty on the ground and make stuff happen. But the better I started reading and anticipating where they were going and then using my speed to get there, I, almost, I stopped having to dive for balls, but I could, I could also get into, I would cover more ground than most people could, but I was also on the way before most people even started, right? So I was able to get to plays where I would have had to dive before, and then it just extended my ability to cover. Why am I sharing all this with you? This isn't about baseball, right? I know you may not care about baseball, but why is this relevant? In the sales conversation, we do the same thing. Many times we rely on our mechanics. We rely on the techniques. We rely on the script. We rely on the process. We rely on them knowing where they got to go, right? And the more we're tuned in emotionally, mentally, right? The whole picture, we have to be able to be tapped into what's happening to them, right? Because we got to remember that they are on a buying journey, just like we are on a selling journey. You may have a buying conversation, a talk track, a story arc, a script. You have some place you're trying to go. You have, you have to be fine-tuned emotionally as to what's going on. You have to be aware enough to be able to override the scripts, the process of the 10 steps, all of the formulas, to be able to tap in to what the potential buyer is doing because they are showing up with their own journey, their own story arc, their own buyer script, right? So while you might think they're gonna go one direction, Right? Many times, if you're not tapped into what they're doing, you have to wait for them to make a move before you can even go in that direction, as opposed to being tapped into what their likely emotion is. What are the, what are the keys that they're delivering based on where they came from as part of it? If you know ahead of time where they came from, you know the problem that they've said they had. Now you can, you can identify that just because they said it doesn't mean it's real. Maybe they don't know how to articulate their pain point. They don't know how to self-diagnose what the pain actually is, and they know even less how to articulate it really well. Now you're reacting to what they're telling you, which is most likely not true. And it's not because they're lying, it's because they are confused and they don't know. Right? So you have to be able to be so in tune to what they're doing. You have to know where they're coming from, what are their likely pains, with you as the expert of their problem. How can you be tapped in and aware so that you can see when their hips open up, and they're laid on the swing, and it's a, a low and away curveball, most likely if they make contact, can be a grounder to the right side of the field, right? You have to know when they show up and they start saying, well, I'm just not really sure. Are they saying that I'm not sure, or are they nervous about revealing the fact that they, don't, they have a weakness or a deficiency, right? So you have to be able to understand what are the likely interpretations of those things. The next step behind that is just being aware that there is a possibility that they're articulating something that isn't real or isn't accurate. So even if you can't anticipate what that is, anticipate that it happens and then be prepared to ask them a question. Well, what do you mean by that? Unpack, clarify. Tell me what you mean by that you're unsure. What does unsure mean to you? Unsure of what? And what leads you to that conclusion? Why do you think you're unsure? Are you, maybe you're more sure than you think. You're just afraid. Is, is, are you afraid of taking this risk and failing? Is that more of a, like, a likely possibility than you don't know or that you need to think about it, right? If you don't ask these questions, they're not going to volunteer this information because they don't, part of it is they're hiding back. You have to remember that people don't want to feel stupid. They don't want to look stupid. And if I don't know how to articulate my problem or share what my, what my hesitation might be, I want to make sure that I can formulate it in a way that's going to make me look okay. 
I don't want to say I don't have any money in the bank because it's going to make me look financially irresponsible. I don't want to say I'm afraid to do the work because I'm afraid I might fail. I'm afraid it might not work for me. I'm afraid I've tried some other things. I've started things. And I, I, this is something I've done. I've been guilty of this in the past. I'm much better at it now. I start all kinds of things, right? I, I used to believe firmly that, you know, Jonathan Maxwell used to say all the time that people who start are always going to be better off than people who don't, but the people who win are the people who finish. And that's the smallest percentage of people who start that actually finish. I was just happy that I was starting things because at least I knew I was giving myself credit for wanting to solve problems. Problem was I wasn't finishing anything. So there wasn't anything being completed. Right? And I've learned that about myself and surrounded myself with both put skill sets on myself to be able to not take on more than I should say no more than I used to surround myself with people who can help implement the things that I, that I put on the table. There's a lot of ways to solve those problems, but at first start, it had to be, be able to be okay with acknowledging the fact that that was a deficiency in me. Everybody doesn't know that. And then the people who do don't know that it's okay to admit that, right? So we have to be able to come across the table and let them know, hey, it's all right. We got you, right? We don't want to discount their thought process. We want to acknowledge it. We don't want to put ourselves, you want to be an ally, not an adversary. If you're an adversary, they have to dig in and defend their position. If you're an ally, then they want to be able to get you open up to you so you can support them. Right. I'm an ally to you. I'm going to challenge you all the time. Um, I'm going to challenge the way you think. I'm going to challenge your action set. I'm going to challenge you can always do more. Right. But I don't ever want to be uh, an adversarial, an adversarial relationship to you. Now, we may have adversarial engagements at times because adversity is what grows the human in any area. Right? You don't achieve excellence or mastery unless you struggle in areas to break through. So adver adversity is going to be part of your process. And the person who can expose you to adversity may be your adversary in a stage or a season, but it's not about having an adversarial relationship. Right? Adversarial relationship come when you, when you feel like your worldview is being attacked. Right? And a total side note on that. Um, you know, something we're going to talk about on our peak performance network call today coming up here in a few um, is uh, I want to be really helping people be aware of the perspective of consistency, right? Robert um, C. Aldini um, in the book Influence talks about one of the key uh, auto influencers is commitment and consistency. And what that means is our subconscious, which is only has one real objective <laughs> to keep us alive. Right? Its job is to <clears throat> keep us free from attack, keep us protected. And one of the things it does to protect us is keep us in alignment with the things that we claim. So when I say uh, I'm a proud father, I, then I want to do things that make me look like a proud father. So I'm in alignment and consistency with that. And so if I say publicly that I love my kids and, I'm a, and I believe in family and my father, then publicly I'm going to do the things that will help support that image that I just put forth, right? And in the sales conversation, similar things happen here, right? We've, we have to think beyond the, the surface level of that. So the surface, when somebody says, yes, I'm committed, I want to win, I gotta do everything at every cost to make sure I protect my family and build my legacy. Well then, theoretically, that would mean I'm gonna move heaven and earth to find a way to buy this program if I know it can help me win. But when you dive underneath the surface of that, what you start seeing is that, um, you know, there are barriers to that. What are the things, in order to do this, that means I have to not do something else. And that other something that I started was something I built on my own. And when I built it on my own, I now, I have to 
in my mind, I was, I was saying I was committed to this particular thing. In order for me to stop doing that and start doing this, I must first let go of the attachment to this other thing I was doing. Because if I just say, well, that sucked because it was a dumb idea, then I'm poo-pooing on my own idea. And my subconscious isn't going to let me do that. So we have to come across the table and say, hey, you know what? That was a good idea at the time. Or that was a good idea. And, you know, where, what limits did you discover? What, what worked about it? What was good about it? Right. And let them walk their way to why it didn't work. Now, because they've discovered it didn't work, they can let go of it and now move towards a better solution. Right. We used to do this all the time when I had my alarm company and we would go into neighborhoods. We would, we, most of our door knocking canvas teams were in high crime areas. We knew that if it had a neighborhood had chain link fences, cars on blocks, pit bulls in the yards, we knew the high probability that there was a fair amount of crime there and people wanted protection, right? Plus we went off of police reports and they tended to cross section pretty well. So we, if you went into a neighborhood, did not matter. You could walk into a neighborhood where every single one of us would know this neighborhood risky, <laughs> dangerous. Everybody there knows it. There's crime. There's the police were here just last night doing a drug raid or whatever. But if you walked up and say, hey, look, we know your neighborhood's struggling. People would defend it no matter what because this was my neighborhood and you're attacking my confidence and ability. I bought this house. I moved into this neighborhood. You're now saying I'm an idiot because I moved into a neighborhood that has high crime rates or that I'm an idiot because I've stuck around here. Or maybe you're even accusing me of being part of the problem. All kinds of, of alarms go off when people start focusing on that. But when we showed up and say, hey, look, we understand that uh, things are on the rise. This neighborhood is, is up and coming. Things are getting better. They, without fail, would tell you within minutes, oh, no, 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 yeah, it's getting better, but, you know, oh, they, you know, they'll name names, right? Oh, yeah, they had a, you know, there, there's people coming all hours of the night over there. We know they're dealing on that house. This is a prostitution house over here. Cops just raided that. They'll tell you everything that's wrong with it. Now they have claimed that their neighborhood needs help, and you're now here to show them a way to get help and solution, right? It's crazy how that works, but we all do that. So keep all of that in mind. These are the kind of things that allow you to help them read their swing. They're gonna telegraph what direction are they gonna go. And then when they do, you can move around quicker to get to that ball before you have to dive and hope to make the great play. You start setting it up so things become more simple, more logical, more intuitive, more effective, and more in alignment. Now you're allies instead of adversaries and life gets great. Right. So I would love to hear from you. What are you thinking about this? What are your thoughts? What are the things? What's one move that has got you gripped? What's one thing that you've been doing that you keep having to work hard? Maybe the only way you make those sales is you have to dive at the last minute to try to save it before it gets through. Right. Whereas this perspective on what kind of a challenge your potential buyer is having that if you're thinking this through ahead of time, you can take steps in that direction before they get there. Be there to receive it warmly be there to square up under the ground ball, catch it firmly and make a good throw instead of having to make the great play at the end. While it's fun, I don't, don't do that. I love making diving state plays and looking like the hero, but it was really, really nice when I could start just making plays all day long without beating myself up and increasing my fielding average and making sure that balls don't get through and lead to more wins. That made me feel a heck of a lot better than making the great play at the end because I had to. Right. It's easier when you can do it predictably, get the kind of results and the outcome you want. Got to a place and a point where people started hitting away from me because they did. They knew I was going to that it was a lot. It was a bad opportunity to hit a ground ball in my direction. Right. That's when you're altering the game. That's when you are changing the game for other people. Right. 
that's when you have such amount of presence, being able to read what's happening, be tapped in, start getting that emotional sales intelligence brought into the game. And that's what we do, right? So we want to help you with that. Um, let, reach out, let us know how we can support you, what questions you might have, what challenges you have around this. Let us and the team support you. We'd love to see what's going on with you. Um, reach out here. Team is uh, is uh, in in the chat here. If you're if you're in the group here in the Facebook group where we're going live, if not, if you're on the podcast, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're uh, in the Facebook group uh, and on the live here, we do have uh, some trainings coming up. We want you to be a part of. Um, we're doing a live stream partnering, profiting from partnerships uh, live stream coming up uh, this week. So check that out uh, and always be looking for what we're doing, what we're putting on display because we do everything in our power to help you learn how to make more sales without getting better at selling every single day because it's a real thing and it's what we stand for and it's what, how we want to change the game for you. Do you see how this can work? Do you see how thinking one step ahead just makes you calmer? Do you see how that can even just even the thought of that can make your heart beat a little bit slower, right? Do you feel how this can help set you up to receive people just a little bit easier and not have to figure out how to make the great play every time to be able to close the sale? And what will that do for you in your ability to convert? And when do you think is a good time to start doing this? <laughs> right? Right now. So implement, I wanna hear how it's working for you. I want you to put this into play. If you have any questions around it, please reach out, let us help you because we know this stuff is the difference maker. All right, thanks for allowing us to be part of your success team. Go make some magic happen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Make More Sales podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you'll definitely wanna check out our Make More Sales Facebook group where you'll find more amazing content, including free sales training and live content happening every single week. So make sure to follow the link below to join. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show and share it with your friends. That way more people can learn how to make more sales without getting better at selling. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.